We good? Why? There's a couch literally up in the front. Steve White, his wife Patty. Um, I don't know what to say about that. That's perfect. One word: sybaritic. <laughs> you know what that? You know what that means? I think it was. It means people who enjoy the finer things in life. In life, yes. <laughs> um, well, good morning. I can't believe this is the last last day, you know, together. My kids have actually started to settle in, you know, a, a little bit, which is, uh, which is really, really good. You know, last night was, was great because uh, how bedtime routines worked out, you never know, like, who's going to get what kids. And I always, I always, like, pray for the, the ones that actually sleep and aren't too trouble and just non-asher. You know, I just kind of pray that somehow it works out that, that Tasha gets Asher. And last night was one of those nights. So, so uh, she was putting Asher and Addie, they've been sleeping together for some reason, you know, which is a first. They, they never you know, do that. And it's so funny. It's, it's cute that they have to get in bed and they have to like position themselves face to face. And Asher wants Addie's forehead to touch his, you know, and, and it's got, it can't be like separated, you know, it's got to be touched and they fall asleep, you know, that way. So I was like, yes. So I get Jackson, which is our, our oldest, you know? And so it's like, all right. So we, we have a cabin. So we have like a bedroom below and then one on, on, on the, the top. And so it's like, let's just get full separation so that I can get a full night's sleep. Let's just go, we'll go upstairs, you know, to your bedroom. So we do that and he reads me a book and that was like really great. And we fall asleep and, you know, we're cuddling and everything. And, you know, you get that strange feeling that something is happening, but you're asleep. So you don't quite know, you know, like what, what it is. Well, it was about midnight when I, I heard like the splash, you know, like it, it, it wasn't a bedwetting, but the bed was wet. You know, Jackson hurled like chunks, like something fierce at just after midnight last night. And, uh, and the champion just kept going. I mean, like every half hour till 7 a.m., this guy was just losing it. So, uh, Poor Jackson. So, so I quickly went down and, and got my wife, you know, so, <laughs> because I can't handle this, you know. I don't even know what to do about it. I'm getting nauseous from the smell, you know, and I just have my hands up like this walking around. But it was, it was, it was terrible, but pray for him. Pray for him. He's a, he's a champion, but pray for him. Um, so many people have asked me about, you know, my, my name and, uh, and it's like Haverkamp, you know, like Haverkamp, that sounds so familiar, you know, like that's a peach, hun. He's like, no, Mr. Haverkamp, you, you know, the ball, the, the, the green's over here, Mr. Haverkamp, you know what I'm talking about, you know, and then Mrs. Haverkamp's over there, whee, you know, she just puts one like right in the, in the drink, you know, <laughs> over here. Um, so they're, they're, it's Caddyshack, you know, it's like <laughs> The movie, Bill Murray, there is a connection actually to, to my family. So my uncle uh, met Bill Murray at a wedding reception like in the Quad Cities because Bill Murray's sister, who's a religious sister, consecrated religious sister, was there like at Marycrest at the time. And so they met and they talked and everything. And uh, they must have had like a really great conversation because that Bill Murray actually put the Haverkamps into the film like after that reception, after that, that conversation. That's my claim to fame for, for the Haverkamps. Uh, but I, Shay wanted me to build that into the talk like all weekend. So I finally, there you go. There you go. Um, 
All right, one more story before, you know, we, we wrap up. And that is like, when I was, uh, was little, I was always a climber, all right? Do you guys have climbers, you know, at all? Like, I mean, I was a climber and I started super early. So my mom tells me, I don't remember any of this, but my mom tells me that they could not keep me in the crib. So like long before I could walk or anything like that, I would crawl out of my crib, you know? And so they, they started thinking of what ways, how are we gonna deal with this, you know? And so one of the first things that they did was put higher walls, you know, like their, their crib walls on there. So there was like really high ones. And I climbed over that, you know, and, and got out. And then, um, you know, I don't know if DHS was around during this time, but they, they put a net, you know, like over the top. I, I mean, this is probably get thrown in jail for this, you know, now. But I mean, they had some sort of net that they secured to the top. And I Houdini'd my way like out of the net, you know, and they, I think they put a board at one time, like plywood, you know. <laughs> I don't know if they nailed it, you know, because that, that would have been hard to get out of. But somehow I, I got out of this and, and my, my mom tells the story of one morning she got this call, like it's some God awful, like time in the morning. It's like 4.55 or close to five in the morning. And so she gets, you know, she answers the phone. She says, hello. And it's Mrs. Evans, you know, Mrs. Evans is neighbor of mine, lives kind of up the street, you know, on a hill. And Mrs. Evans says, um, Mrs. Haverkamp, um, which is just funny if you know Caddy Chat, but Mrs. Haverkamp um, <laughs> said, what? And it's like, do you know where your son is? And uh, my, my mom was indignant at the time, you know, because of course I know where my son is. You know, he's in bed, you know, like he's in, he's in his crib. You know, where he's supposed to be. He's like, well, you Miss Havocamp, you better check. You know, you, you better check on this. So she's like, she puts the phone down and she goes in the other room and in my room and looks and sure enough, I'm not there. Okay. And so what I had somehow managed to do was to climb out of the high walls and the net and the board and whatever else, you know, the booby traps that they'd put like in the, in the, in the room, down the stairs, through the front door and up. And the Evans live four houses up, you know, the hill. And um, so Mrs. Evans gets up in the morning, makes herself some coffee and she's in her robe and she's at the kitchen sink, like looking out like into the back backyard. And they have in the backyard, they have like this dog kennel and the and the chain link fences and everything and she kind of looks you know at first because she sees the dog you know out, out there on one side of the fence and everything but then she sees little baby Michael you know like on the other side of the fence just like staring face to face kind of like Addie and Asher like we're sleeping last night I was just that infatuated with dog and I'm still infatuated with dogs but I, I climbed out of everything and I climbed trees and I climbed, you know, when I, when I figured out how to use a ladder, I climb up on the roof and I always like to climb things and I still do, you know, I still like to climb things. But, the, and many of you, do who likes to climb? You know, you like to climb mountains or, you know, go to high places. Even if you don't like to climb, you like to drive to high places, you know, because so, it's easier, you know, to get up there. <laughs> it's like Pikes Peak, they, they put a road there so you don't even have to, you know, climb, you just go to high places. But you know, why, why is it that human beings like to, to climb or like to be on high places? Because like in many ways, you eventually have to come down. Like what's the point? If you have to do all this work to get all, go all the way up to the top, like why, why do you even do it? You know, you're going to come down. You can't like stay up there. And, um, and I think that like we all know and we, we all can experience when we go to high places that, you know, you can see things with an extraordinary clarity when you're up, up in high, a high place. Like you can see things, you can see things so far, 
you know, when you're at a high place. You can't even believe how far on a clear day that you can see. But you can also, it's inevitably, like if you're on a, on a, a mountaintop, you, you start to see your own life with greater clarity. Just things make sense. It's like everything is in its proper perspective. Like once you get up there, it's like, oh gosh, all those worries weren't so, such a big deal. Or man, I'm making so much out of this, but, and maybe I'm just focusing on this, but I really, I really need to, to do this, you know? We have this greater clarity when we're up there. We can somehow touch what's real and what's unreal, what's really important or essential and what's like non-essential when you're in a high place. And for me, at least, you feel extraordinary life when you're, when you're in a high place. And that life, that abundant life that we've been talking about, you know, that we were made for, that God put you here for is to have, to have that life. You can somehow touch it or you're somehow closer, you know, to it in this high place. And there's this quote from a, a French alpinist that is really, really, I think, insightful about climbing. He was asked by a journalist, you know, why do you climb? And essentially the, the question was, well, you go up and down and you have to come down. You're like, why would you even do it? It's kind of a waste of time, you know, isn't it? And he said this, he said, you know, you cannot stay on the mountaintop forever. You have to come down. And this is my favorite part. But there's an art to living in the lower regions by what one has seen above. Isn't that good? There's, there's a whole art. I love the even word. It's not a science, like it's an art. To living down here where we all live in the mundane and with our lives and with our jobs and everything else, there's an art to living there in a different way because of what we have seen and experienced up there. And for, for us, I know this weekend has been a great blessing. It has been a mountaintop experience for us. And we would love to come back. I mean, I'll never be invited to speak again, but I, this is my last shot, shot right here. But I, I, we, we really love this place. We love uh, the camp. We love the people. We don't like the weather so much, you know? So maybe that Summerfest thing is a better idea. But um, but we absolutely love it here. And so thank you. You guys have been a huge part, you know, that for us uh, of the mountaintop. And the mountaintops are cold. That's right. He reminds you, nothing can survive, you know, up there in the Alpine regions. You're right. We're not made to, to live on the mountaintop. We all have to, have to come back. So my question to you is, if this has been a mountaintop experience for you, what have you seen with greater clarity here? What has become more clear in your own life? What perspective have you gotten here that maybe you had forgotten or you'd lost, you know, when you were at home? Maybe you've talked about it, you know, with your spouse. Maybe you've had a prayer about it, you know, in your own little private time. Whatever it was, you know, what kind of perspective have, have you seen? Are you living your life to the fullest? Are when you know that you've, you're here to live that abundant life, have you gotten a sense here of whether that's really true for you or not? You know, And in what ways, what are those things, what are those obstacles that are getting in the way of you living that full life? Perhaps you've, you've seen this and experienced it here. Maybe you've uncovered some brokenness. 
maybe you're starting to, to recognize or deal with, or you're finally tired of it dragging you down. And so here you're saying, all right, I, I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to live with these shackles anymore. I don't want to live with the shame anymore or this regret. I don't want to live with this tension between me and my wife we haven't talked about. I don't want to continue to resent this relationship in my life that is there for a reason, but I don't quite know what to do with it, you know? I'm, maybe you've seen that, you know, with greater, greater clarity. I don't know. Maybe you have. One more question that we could ask ourselves in reference to am I living life to the fullest? You know, what am I placing as I live my life at home? What am I placing at the very center? And how is that working? You know, like most of us are church going people and that's all good and everything. That doesn't mean that it's at the center, you know, of your life. It doesn't mean that that's really the essence of what you're living for. And if you haven't placed, you know, Jesus right at the very center of your life, you can start asking the question is like, oh, well, how is this working out? Placing something else there and putting God on the periphery. And we all know that it doesn't, in the long run, it just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't lead you to that fullness, no matter what it brings you, no matter what material gains or success or fame or whatever it is, that you're, you're, you're always going to be plagued by this sense that, that, I'm not living the life that I'm, I'm supposed to live. Maybe that is what you've experienced on the mountaintop. You've seen this with, with some great clarity. In the Bible, um, mountains um, throughout the Bible were always a very privileged place, just like the family is a privileged place for God to show up. The mountains have always been a place where God, in the Christian script, scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures, have revealed himself. That's where he's done it. So one of my favorites is in, in Exodus 3, where God is revealing himself on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And he reveals himself to Moses. And, and what happens in this encounter, I think, is really good for us to hear. It, it applies to where we are right now as we come down off of this mountain. So God called Moses by name. He says, Moses. Moses, like twice. He calls him by name because he knows Moses and he chose Moses. And he said, I know you. I know everything about you. Remember that part about I choose you, even though I know what you've been, been through, I choose you. He calls him out by name. It's so important. Moses, twice. Moses, Moses. And he says, take off your sandals for you're standing on, on holy ground. I have gotten a sense here that this is, you know, holy ground. It's a place where God is. I know God is equally with me everywhere that I am, but somehow it's clearer like here. And so there's this great reverence that kind of rises up in my life and in my heart. And I definitely got the sense yesterday that I need to spend more time with God. I know I want to spend time with God, but somehow in my life, the tyranny of the urgent takes over and I'm not spending as much time with God. I'm not dwelling. You know, I was with the Casey's yesterday and so many, so many of them were saying, I need to dwell with the Lord. I don't, I don't need to be like one foot in and one foot out. I need to be fully in. That was what I, what I was receiving yesterday. This is holy ground. Wherever I am, abide in him, dwell in him, seek his face. This is what God says to, to Moses. I am your God. 
I am aware of your suffering. I am fully aware of your suffering. I know where you are. I know what you're going through. I know it. And even more, I think, than knowing it, he has experienced your suffering. Somehow, mysteriously, on the cross, he has taken up and, and uh, taken on your suffering there in a total and complete way. There is nothing that separates you from God, not your suffering or not your pain or not your shame or not your regret, because he's felt every ounce of that. I'm aware of your suffering. I have come to rescue you. I've come to rescue you. Wherever you are, I am your God. I know what you're going through. I'm come to rescue you. And I want you, I want to use you to rescue others. What a powerful few, few statements, you know, right there. Calling you by name, choosing you. This is holy ground. I am your God and I know you're suffering and I am calling you by name and I want to use you. It's not just about you and God. I want to use you. God is desperately desiring to use you to your fullest potential in every relationship, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community. He wants to use you in your marriage. And Moses, of course, says what we all say when we feel called by God in such a way, who am I? You feel like super humble, super unworthy. It's like, you, 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 it's like all of your weaknesses are exposed. Rich was saying he was practicing earlier and everything. And, and he's like, you guys really make me feel uncomfortable. And, uh, and what, what did you say? Uh, self-conscious or something like that. You make me feel insecure. He was, he was kind of poking fun because the, 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 the girls who were singing with him, they would kind of look at him and giggle like every once in a while. And I don't even know what that was about. But, um, but it's funny because it's so true. It's like that, he, you said it as a joke, but how many times do you feel a little insecure, you know? No matter how old you get, no matter how wise and successful or whatever and everything, we're like, we're walking around like little junior high kids just with big bodies, you know? <laughs> we're like terribly insecure about everything, like all the time. <laughs> who am I? And who am I to lead others, he said. God said, I will be with you. And Moses replied, but people back home haven't experienced this. They won't believe me. They don't know what, what winter weekend is about. They, they, don't know, they don't have this inner experience and everything. So they won't listen to me. They won't believe me. And God said, you can be sure. You can take this to the bank. I am with you. I am with you. I will lead you and I will rescue you. What powerful statements by God. I am with you. I will lead you. I will rescue you. Because you know you're going to get into trouble. You know that the, the waters will rise. You know the fires are coming. You know life. You're old enough to know that. It's not going to be easy with Jesus and everything. But whatever you find yourself in, the point is, is that God will be there and God will rescue you. And that's for sure. And Moses continued to argue, but I'm not a good speaker. I don't have what it takes. Don't use me as your mouthpiece. Use somebody else. Somebody else surely could do it better than me. And he says, who makes people hear or not, or not hear, see or not see? Is it you? Is it your talents? Or is it me, he says. And you know it's him. 
I know without a shadow of doubt anything that I've said or done that's meant, meant anything to you didn't come from me at all. Because I'm just as weak, as insecure as Rich is. <laughs> you know? It's not us. Please send someone else. Just send someone. Send Shay or something. Send John. Send Dave. Send Steve. I, just send them. Clearly, they're more equipped you know, than I. And God says, no, I choose you. I choose you, I made you. I love you. And he says, now follow me. The, the life of a, of a disciple of Jesus Christ is simply marked by listening to that voice that you know is real and do whatever he says. And I don't know. I, I seriously don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you're, you're, you're dealing with. Um, I don't know what you're going home to. I don't know what's heavy on your heart. I don't know the, the fear that's welling up in your heart because you have a feeling that you know what God is calling you to do, but you just don't want to do it. You know, maybe you tried this before, but it didn't really work so well. I crashed and burned the last time, you know, and he's saying, I, it's not a mistake. I choose you. I love you. I know you. Now follow, follow me. Always follow me. And that's the best that we can do. It's just the best we can do. God is with you no matter what you're going through, what, what, whatever he's sending you back to, he is absolutely with you. And I can say without a doubt that I know that is true because of this weekend. I've seen God work in, in you. I've seen him work in my own family. And it's been a, a great blessing. It has truly been a mountaintop. So as we go home, will you have the, the courage? Will you have the focus, the openness, the vulnerability to live your life differently after this weekend because of what you've seen and experienced here? Will you listen to, to God's call? I hope that you will. God, thank you for this great weekend. Oh, all the the laughter and the, and the love and the tears and, uh, and, and those moments where the, the veneer separating us from you was so thin. And we felt your presence so close. And we saw our lives with such clarity. And we know what we're here for. And we, we get a sense of what you're calling us to. Lord, allow us to say, Yes, Lord, send me. Wherever you want me to go, send me. And I trust that you're with me and that you will rescue me. In Jesus' name, amen.